Hey, welcome to another episode of the Who Dat Jedi podcast. This is episode 143, and we are on the eve of Jazz Fest lineup being announced. If you're, Ooh. we're recording on Thursday, and uh, it comes, the lineup comes out on Friday. That's a big day in New Orleans here, everybody. And we already know of one leak. Lizzo leaked that she's going to be here because somebody got overzealous and put on her tour calendar that she's going to be in New Orleans and linked to the Jazz Fest website. So, Lizzo. Did she auto-leak? Is that an auto-leak? Own leak? I don't know. You know, know, kind of like when you score an own soccer. Is that an own leak? Do you know what he's talking about, Dave? (laughs) Like an own goal, an own leak. Yeah, like it came from her camp, you know. It's an unforced error to use a different sports uh, sportsism. Oh, I've had a long day, so let's let's keep the jokes at a at an Aaron level right now. So I and the references because I might be like, hmm. um, but anyway. So does anybody else know of any leaks or any uh, hard uh, possibilities? Not really. No, no. Not, but I'm, yeah, not I'm, really. I'm, and yeah, that's kind of what makes the list of leaks so surprising. It's that normally we don't hear about it until. <laughs> I'm trying to think like Rolling Stones Rolling did Stones. that one year, didn't they? Yeah. But but they're but they're kinda like everybody kinda guessed that you know, they're one of those bands or one of those acts that has their own tracking fans who try to chase and figure out where they're gonna be every year. So there's almost like a like a cottage industry for some some of the bigger names. So like you know, if you know that there's a opening, hey, they might be fitting here. So, you know, it's, it's kind of interesting because in a controversial topic in the city of New Orleans is whether or not there should be pop and rock acts at Jazz Fest. And I'm going to tell you as a, I, I still consider myself a music educator because I still do teach music to people. Um, and I taught, I taught jazz for 15 years. Um, and I will tell you that I hate to burst your bubble, but rock and roll and pop music you know, as a derivative of rock and roll is they're also born of jazz. Um, so that's one. So do they belong? Yes. Um, now the other part of it is having played festivals I played the Irish festival in Kansas city. Um, if you loaded up jazz fest with nothing but trad jazz and you know all just hardcore jazz you would not have the amount of people come it's like at 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 irish festivals i want to hear nothing but trad irish stuff and i'm not turned on by the irish rock but the irish rock is what gets people coming and buying the beer and so it's one of those things where i mean and now, before you come at me on Twitter, yes, I am a transplant. I get it. But I'm just saying from, you know, from standpoint of jazz, these groups belong, you know, and there are and you can go and you can sit in a couple tents and listen to all the trad jazz that you want and you'll never have to leave your seat. So um, but anyway, that's just kind of my take on it. I would follow up to use your um one of your favorite anecdotes, which is uh, American Pie, and if you uh, if you don't play the hits, 
You're gonna lose. No, it's your brown eye. eyed girl. It's brown eyed yeah, girl. Brown eyed girl, Sarah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they're all gonna bounce out and out of there, right? Um, and so, like, is there a way that they could maybe thin it out a little bit so that, like, they got a big act and then a gap where you're sort of forced to listen to some of the smaller acts and then a big act? Maybe that would be a decent compromise. Um, I would you probably know, I actually, that. you know, Britt and I, we, we, I'm sorry, I don't mean to make this whole all about jazz fest, but you know, Britt and I, we bounce from stage to stage. Now there's a couple, like if there's a group, it's like, we want to see their entire set, you know, then, you know, we'll find a seat and we will see their entire set. Um, it was kind of like when our first, uh, jazz fest Pearl Jam came and it was only my second time ever seeing Pearl Jam and it's my favorite group of all time. So I was like, I am watching all of it now. Otherwise, it's like we'll bop over and, okay, we watch about five minutes of, you know, about, well, maybe about 10 minutes of this pop band. Now let's go over here and, you know, you know, watch something else. It's like we're not, I guess that's what I see Jazz Fest as being, is getting kind of, it's like going to a buffet. So anyway. I, no, and I, and I think realistically given, because I remember, I mean, shoot, going to Jazz Fest pre-Katrina volunteering for jazz fest donating time and just you know that used to be like hey donate your time here's a free ticket and just go in and be mardi gras indians and local jazz acts on that first thursday on that thursday before uh the locals thursday uh, before the weekend and uh they can still get that i also think the reality of the, of the modern kind of musical industry the costs are higher the investment is higher the expectation for a return to because you know that festival has got to pay every vendor every electrician every plumber every guy setting up whatever and then all those acts have their own crews that they got to pay and somewhere along the way the the, the musicians themselves got to eat too so because of that ticket costs are going up and the only way you can justify charging somebody the prices that jazz fest charges now is to get those big pop rock hip-hop acts you can't simply say we pay $75 and you'll come here and you'll watch the same acts that you can watch down the street after Jazz Fest for 10. Right. People will do that. So you, it's almost like you're almost trapped by the dynamics of the music industry today. And it is what it is. I, I'm, I do love it when, you know, because that's the one thing, uh, looking at all the music festivals, because they're all announcing the lineups, is when you get eclectic mixes, when you get different acts, because that exposes people to different music, different styles, different things. And you never know when they're going to grab something's going to you know, pluck theory and go, Oh, I like that. And off you go. One of the, one of the, this last thing I'll say, one of my, one of our favorite finds, and it was totally accidental because we were going in to watch um, Kermit Ruffins do his uh, Louis Armstrong tribute. And it's, it was starting to rain. And so we, dove into that it was really small tent dove into that tent like a half hour early because it started raining and Layla McCullough was playing and she does a lot of I mean you want to talk about trad that she does like um Creole uh sings a lot of stuff in French Creole and does a lot of uh that Caribbean influence stuff that was and it was like this is awesome because it was like her and her banjo and it was like it, it was it was so it was great find and actually she ended up being one of i think it was either barack obama's or michelle obama's favorite group uh, artists of 2023 or of 2022 
Anyway, just just to mention, no, just to mention right quick, because we're mentioning Lizzo. I want to say the first time I even came aware of Lizzo was when she played Voodoo, may rest in peace, a uh, few years back, when she and her whole band was dressed in the Sailor Moon outfits and she was out there with her flute and they had twerk dancers and everything. And it was like right just on the cusp of her you know, breaking out into being the big global superstar she became. But it was it was interesting. So it's like, wow, that, again, just on the edge of breaking out, you don't quite know for next thing you know, she's everywhere yeah that's something that you know it's it's cool when you catch them before they everybody they're on everybody's you know lips and it's awesome if i could speak briefly to why we're passionately discussing this topic on this podcast this is a star wars podcast why is there, why are these guys talking about this this is the who very jedi podcast so it's a very new orleans sort of festival and experience when you go out there and you sort of, and what Aaron was just describing, you have this serendipity, these moments where, like, I'm just going to sort of go where the wind takes me. And you run into someone you know, or you run into an act that's incredible, or you find some amazing new taste, some new dish that you'd never tried before. There are these sorts of moments. They occur all the time in Mardi Gras. Um, it's a small community. Um, it's the sort of place where you run into people that you know, but you don't all the time because you live your life, right? But then certain times of the year, um, you run into these people that you know and that you love, and you say, oh, my gosh, there's that person. I'm going to wrap my arms around them. And it's such a special feeling of community. And this is one of those, well, this is one of those events. And, and also, if I might add on to that, is that the announcement of the acts and then the announcement mm -hmm. of the cubes are times when it's like the whole city focuses on the same thing. You know, where <laughs> it's, it's kind of like, <clears throat> you know, come from Nebraska. You can go to in, into any bar and you can start talking about Nebraska Cornhuskers and you can talk to a stranger for an hour and a half. Um, you come, there are certain times in New Orleans, you know, where you can start talking to a stranger and you're both right there. And the Jazz Fest lineups is one of those times. <clears throat> but anyway yeah that that too you bring together pe people that you've never you'd never met before you know and but there's this commonality and this common ground and this good um yeah and it's it's kind of hard to describe but i'm very much in that mode of thinking right now because mardi gras just kicked off and the yeah. other night was great we all saw each other the other night um i was just it's just it's why you live here so uh tonight um, so yeah, we're sorry to jump into Jazz Fest right there, but that's kind of the big thing that's going on. Um, but tonight we're going to be talking about episode three of The Bad Batch. Uh, by the way, which one of you was it that sent the meme that said, when you realize that The Bad Batch is nothing but the penguins from Madagascar? Was that Fredo? That was awesome. I, did, I was laughing out loud at that one. Uh, but anyway, we're going to be watching episode three of The Bad Batch, and it was called The Solitary Clone uh, kind of an interesting episode. We're going to be talking about that. Um, I'm also going to be <clears throat> given a little bit of a report from my day at Fan Expo New Orleans. Um, 
And uh, but first, let's do some trivia. Oh, this is interesting. Hmm. <clears throat> All right, Dave, I'm going to give this one to you. All right. And yeah, that's me being because I, I, I don't know the answer to this one, folks. What creatures believe themselves to be descendants of the great tree? I have some guesses. But what creatures believe themselves to be descendants of the great tree? You're given the same look that I gave when I first read this. <laughs> Wait, I think I know this one. But I don't know because of the movies. That's the thing. Like, I'm thinking of the, the movies, and I don't know if this, this is... This would be the movies, because it is the Saga edition. So it's episodes yeah, one yeah, through six. doesn't sound like something that's <clears throat> explicitly mentioned. Um, how about Ewoks? That was a good guess. It is the Ewoks. I was thinking either the Ewoks or the Wookiees. The Wookiees. Um, yeah, that's what I was thinking of, because... If you play Jedi Fallen Order, one of the missions has to climb the big Sherwood trees in Kashyyyk. I I want to uh, I want to find out where in Return of the Jedi they talk about being descendants of the Great Tree. Right. Um, so <laughs> I guess we'll all go back and watch Return of the Jedi later. All right. Uh, and from that one, Fredo, to this one. Mm-hmm. Who is dispatched to put Moff Jerjerod back on schedule? I believe that'll be the one and only Darth Vader. It is Darth Vader. Man, from from a Fredo gets a softball and Dave gets an inside fastball to the nose. Um, all right, so for me, who objects more than once to taking Queen Amidala to Tatooine? That would be Captain Panaka. It is Captain Panaka. Ba-da, 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 yay. All right. So we're all warmed up now into Star Wars stuff. Um, I went to Fan Expo New Orleans um, on Saturday. Ooh. And uh, <clears throat> my whole thing, by the way, um, I do have some criticisms. And we we're, we're kind of texting back and forth about, and I, about these criticisms. Because um, my whole thing was I was going to go get some autographs. Okay. Um, I was... I, and I was, it was like, uh, but I'm going to say Fan Expo New Orleans, your website stinks. Your website stinks. Because as I'm looking at the Star Wars people who are coming, because it was, um, I knew that it was going to be, oh, that's the other one I got to tell you guys. Uh, I knew it was going to be um, Giancarlo Esposito and Emily Swallow, who she was, is the armorer. This is the way. And Carl Weathers. Um, so we talked about that. Chubbs was there. Uh, <clears throat> and I knew they were going to be, I, well, I knew that, um, Giancarlo Esposito and Emily Swallow were signing, but on the website, it only so showed that, um, Carl Weathers was doing photo ops. And I was like, well, I don't want a photo op with Carl Weathers anyway. Um, and then as I, I so I purchased those two tickets and then I was, I saw the website got updated and Ashley Eckstein and Matt Lanter and um, just lost James Arnold Taylor. Um, 
they they show up as coming you know they're they were you know the voices of ahsoka anakin and um obi-wan from the clone wars it's like sweet and on the website it just showed that they're doing photo ops i was like well, i don't want photos i want they're not signing and so i was like well that's a bummer so that morning just on a lark just on just in case i was like well i'll grab my because i've got this clone wars poster that it's ahsoka um that i got at uh, star wars celebration chicago and i was like i'm gonna just take that on a, just in case you know i'll just roll it up because i already had my mandalorian poster for the other two to get those signed that's great so i'll take the other one just in case and i get there and i find out that yes indeed all the people who it said just photo ops they're also signing signing autographs so i'm like cool all right well this this i you know so i just had a gig the night before so right on okay i'll get some more more autographs so <laughs> so I, I'm waiting in line for um, because the line was pretty short for Ashley Eckstein and she wasn't there yet. Um, so I was like, well, I'll hop in line because like I said, my whole thing was I was going to there didn't. This is why your website sucks is that um, there was really nothing about any panels that anybody was doing. That was what and Dave was texting me and he was saying, you know, are they doing any panel or you know, it doesn't look like they're doing any panels. He's like, that's the only reason I'd probably go is to like go to these panels. And I was like, I, yeah, I didn't think so either. Well, it turned out as I was standing in line for uh, the armorers uh, autograph and Giancarlo Esposito. Yes, as a matter of fact, um, Matt Lanter, all the Clone Wars people were doing a Clone Wars panel. So I'm standing in line a football field away while they're doing this. And so then when I was getting um, their autographs, guess what was going on? A Mandalorian panel. with, And I was like, come on. So anyway, um, so but I will say this. Um, the the clone wars folks were the most gracious kind giving of their time people it wasn't just like sign off you go um i mean just watching the three of them interact with the fans um and be like i said just be so gracious of their time i mean you know and they got long lines and stuff like that um and it was so it was, it was really it was really cool to get to get those things signed. It was funny um, because I had the Ahsoka poster and I, somebody had the exact same poster like right in front of me and Ashley like wrote over the entire thing. I, I had to tell her, I was like, I'm getting the other two to sign it, you know, as well. She goes, okay, so I'll just take the, like the left-hand side. So she took half of it and gave the other <laughs> half for the other two, which is awesome. But the best moment, oh. the best moment is I was standing in line. One of the R2 Builders Club people came by and there was r2d2 and she had just gotten to her table and so there's this moment she comes out from behind the table and she's talking to r2d2 not the guy who's driving r2d2 she's talking to r2d2 and i was just like that's that's so cool you know it's like that was, was so cool um so then i get those autographs and then i'm like okay well i gotta go get in line for the the mandalorian folks um Emily Swallow was wonderful. Uh, again, just very gracious with her time. Found out Carl Weathers. Let's take a guess. If you wanted to, if I wanted him to sign my Mandalorian poster, how much do you think it would cost you in American dollars? 
hundred. Yeah, I was gonna guess something like that because it seems like the going rate's usually a little less than that. But wow, more than a hundred dollars, huh? Keep going. Two hundred. Three fifty. Oh, down, down, Fredo. Three hundred dollars. Now, ask me how long Carl Weathers' line was. It was about two people. It was about yeah. two people, and like it's like I mean and. People did not know this. They didn't know what the price of the autograph was. So some dude brought, you know, the American flag trunks, you know. Oh, yeah. And, 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 or, you know, it's like he's going to big Rocky fan. And then he found out it was 300, you know, bucks to have as he was. Yeah. So it was cheaper if you like got one of the things on his table. If you got like one of the eight by ten, you know, movie. Yeah. so yeah. buy his stuff, get a discount. I don't know, but it's, you know, so I was like, yeah, I don't need Carl Weather. I mean, if it was like Mark Hamill or Harrison Ford or somebody like that, I would seriously consider getting out the credit card. But Carl Weathers, Star Wars, nah, nah. So I went over and got in line for Giancarlo Esposito and he watching him interact with all the people was awesome as well. Um, he is very outgoing, very, um, again, just not signing and off you go. He's talking with everybody. Um, so here is my story and I'll let Dave edit this out as he wants. So waiting in line all this time and I was joking around with the guy in front of me I mean, we were in line for probably about an hour. And um, I said, you know, we're going to get up there and they're going to say, sorry, folks, he's done. You're going to have to come back next year. And that pretty much happened. We got up there and they came up and they said, sorry, he's got to go do some photo ops and then go have lunch. He'll be back in an hour. And then Giancarlo Esposito comes out from behind the table and he's saying to the whole crowd that's standing there going, oh, but he's like, hey guys, I'm sorry, I gotta go do photo ops and I'll be, you know, I'll be back in a half hour. So we're like, what is it, a half hour or an hour? So we're starting, do we get out of line and go walk around the booths like we wanted to, or do we, you know, so we're like, okay, we'll just stay here. But he comes up in the meantime, he comes up and he was like, two feet away from me so I could hear this conversation because some dude behind me was dressed as Jon Snow had a really great cosplay by the way that's the one great thing about Fan Expo New Orleans is all the cosplay stuff that's going on and I'm not talking 500 first I'm talking about kids who put in their allowance and creativity into creating these things not using a kit um, saw a conchu some like 15 year old kid well it was really pretty cool anyway um and and John Carlo says, "I've seen you today from from across the hall." He's like, "That is awesome." He comes over and the guy he's coming up and he comes right up to the guy. He's like, "Oh man, that's cool. Are you hot?" And he's like, oh, "I'm a little hot, and it's not too bad right now." He's like, "Is this real leather and stuff like that?" So that's really cool. And then all of a sudden, he just gets under his breath and he goes, "Man, that's fucking bad." Matanki. <laughs> and, and I mean this guy just lit up and then he was like see you later and, he's off. and I turned to the guy and said that's better than anything you could have like gotten signed or a picture taken to have and he's like I know right to have him comment on your cosplay like that um, but and then so stood in line for about another hour and he came back got my poster signed and like I said he's a very cool guy um, 
but a uh, lot of lot of cool vendors um but their website sucks so um yeah. and and another thing what last thing i'm going to say is next year i think i might splurge to get the vip pass because that allows you to have you guys seen the uh the vacation reboot that they did um with uh where rusty takes his family to wally world have you seen mm -hmm. that movie and so I'm, I am aware of it. So they get to Wally World and, you know, they're, they've waited in line all day long. And then his like arch enemy like cuts right in front of him because they have the platinum pass or something like that. That's what the VIP pass gets you. So as you're standing in line for like an hour waiting for somebody's autograph, if you have the VIP, you just walk right up and cut in front of everybody. Um, and at almost 50 years old, that's starting to sound like a pretty decent buy. So... Um, but like I said, I mean, they do have panels. Um, hopefully, again, hopefully their website gets better. But um, anyway, it makes it makes me wonder if maybe they just haven't realized how big they've got. It was you know, Wizard cause... World before that. It's not like this is yeah. It's like something but, out of somebody's you know backyard or something. It was already big. But but what I'm getting is comparing it to the likes of say. San Diego Comic Con or New York Comic Con or World Con stuff like that. But again, it was it was it was Wizard World that was like you know that went to New York and went to all over the place. Yes, it's not San Diego Comic Con, but still, again, it's not. Yeah, I I, I, I guess I guess what I guess what I'm saying is just from the standpoint of okay, I could totally see why they might not think oh we don't need to do that we don't need, we don't need to build a website that has like kind of like the Jazz Fest cubes. Yeah. No, compare compare Jazzfest to you know Fan Expo where you're like okay now we don't need to put when the but I will happening. I will say though because... I will say that if they would have had on there and maybe I just didn't maybe we didn't see it Dave I don't know I didn't see it on there but if you would have known that the three of them would have been doing a panel and then there would have been a Mandalorian panel you may have bought a one day yeah. ticket to just go sit in on those panels I I, I might have. Yeah, and we were weighing, like, uh, as our family, like, um, Olivia really wants to go. Um, and so we looked at it. Bring a lunch. The lines, yeah, well, for, the lines for concessions were worse than the lines for anything else. Anyway, keep going. Well, following that one away. But uh, I, we were looking at this, and we were looking at Pensacon. And I know for a fact Pensacon has panels. I mean, I know it. Um, I know a lot of people that participate and go and uh, it's like, okay, I know that you can go there and be entertained. And that's the whole point for me. Um, I'm not an autograph hound or anything. Um, I like uh, cosplay and, and, and seeing all the costumes is so much fun. Um, but, you know, paying an admission to see those things to me doesn't seem like it's very much worth it either. So it's like, okay, well, um, Let's decide between the two and which one do we have a better shot at like seeing some interesting panels where we might learn some uh, inside baseball knowledge about some of our favorite shows and movies. And it seemed like Pentagon seemed like the better bet. So we're like, we're just going to hold off and we're going to go do, the, do that instead. And it, to your point, if they had a better website, um, they yeah. might have got a little extra business out of me and my family, but you know. So that was Fan Expo New Orleans. Um, I, I just, it, 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 like I said, I was happy to get the the autographs I did, and I that has become my new collecting 
I used to, you know, collect the Star Wars toys and stuff like that. I still have them here. But to to have that interaction with the person and be able to talk to them a little bit and to have them sign to Aaron, meh, meh, meh. Um, but, uh, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's interesting you mentioned that. I'm just going to throw something completely out of left field. There was a story last week or something about a, uh, I don't know if you know who Bad Bunny is, the reggaeton artist, mm-hmm. uh, the musician. Anyway, uh, like he had, you know, some fan came up trying to take a selfie. She, he grabbed their phone, threw it in the water. And people are like, why did you do that? And he goes, because that was not respectful of me. He's like, his attitude is, you want to come up to me and talk to me. Hey, 10 minutes, 20, talking to you, getting to know you. And I think uh, that, uh, you know, that's such a much more impactful element than just a selfie. So I think that that's what you're getting at. It's that moment, that interaction with Giancarlo Esposito, with Ashley Eckstein, with all these people that create the stuff that you love. It's so much more bigger than just, hey, you know, I got to see you. I got a photo. I got an autograph. Thank you. Bye. The last thing that I'll I'll leave you with is, and that's why I said I was so impressed, especially with the Clone Wars folks, um, is because I watched kids. First of all, having done... 15 years of parent-teacher conferences and you're sitting there and you're trying not to be the jerk to tell the parent okay i'm done talking about your kid go away there are Mm -hmm. other people behind you now imagine being somebody's favorite actor and saying you know okay kid shut up go away there are people behind there wasn't even one ounce of that and so when i saw kids and especially very socially awkward kids like the kid who was talking to ashley Eckstein or no, talking to Matt Lanter in front of me, and he could barely even make eye contact with him. But Matt just sat there and listened to every word and responded to every sentence and didn't even say, you know, didn't try to even push the kid away. I was just like, awesome. Because, I mean, how, just like I said, as a a teacher, seeing that, it was like, that that was really, really cool. Um, That's what it's all about, I mean. And it's right nice there. to know that your your heroes, I'm putting that in air quotes, but you're, the people that you like are not jerks. So the last thing I will share, give you an example of what, who's not a jerk. Okay, have you guys ever heard of the musician Mojo Nixon? This is going way back into the 80s and, yeah, into the 80s. So my brother hit me to Mojo Nixon. And anyway, I was working one time at a restaurant and... Um, one of the one of the cooks said he he saw mojo nixon at a restaurant one time and he said he was sitting at a table and he looked over and there's mojo nixon with his finger stuck up his nose just digging away and so after after his meal he went over to to mojo nixon he's like mojo nixon i'm a big fan he's like hey son how are you doing he's like oh that's great can i you know like i said big fan can i get a picture taken with you he's like why sure son and he's like so mojo puts his arm around him and he's about ready to take a picture he goes can you put your finger back up your nose? Why, sure, son. He jams his finger back up his nose, and then they take the picture. It's like that's the kind of person you want your, you know, your heroes to be. Um, so anyway, I digress. Absolutely, absolutely. Good story, you know. Um, and it, like it reminds me of going back to what we were just talking about a few minutes back about jazz fest and those connections that you can make with people and how meaningful they are and for a lot of people star wars is that thing 
how do I how do I connect well, with other people? And that, it's over this shared interest, this thing that you're passionate about, and whether you're socially awkward and whether you're um, the the most talkative person on the planet, I, I think like we can all sort of relate to this this impulse to want to connect over this. Well, over and, this and it's also, you know, I, I sorry, I, the, I think always about one of my favorites that I have is that picture of me and Admiral Ozzel and Admiral Piet. And I had the picture taken at a con in Omaha. And then I went to celebration with that picture and had each one of them sign it. And I remember Ken Connolly, who played Admiral Piet, he sat there and looked at that picture without saying a word for probably about, 30 seconds just studying it and now I can't remember if this was after um, the guy who played Admiral Ozzel had passed away I may have gotten his autograph like at a, one previous but just the fact that he just it was obviously meaningful to him you know so yeah I don't know it's it so I, I just I I've grown to like getting the autographs but i ain't spending three hundred dollars for chubs so anyway um fredo we got some news yeah yeah right quick actually not much in the way of news because you know the start of the year but uh we got a couple of things first of all all the award nominations are going out uh golden globes were last just a few days ago uh so just right quick the uh sorry the Writers Guild Awards nominated Andor, uh, so they nominated Dan Gilroy, Tony Gilroy, Stephen Schiff, and Bo Willimon for Best Drama Series. Uh, the Screen Actors Guild nominated Andor for Outstanding Performance by Stunt Ensemble in a TV Series, and you know they're competing against some other big genre heavyweights. And then Deborah Chow and her direction team was nominated for by the Director's Guild Award uh, for Best Direction of a Movie or for Television or Limited Series for Obi-Wan Kenobi. So right now we're neck deep in award season. It's interesting that, you know, obviously, I mean, we kind of theorized here that Andor was going to get a lot of love. We're seeing some of that. But it's interesting that also Obi-Wan Kenobi is getting some of that attention as well. And it's not just special effects. Yeah. It's acting, it's writing, it's directing, it's, it's performances. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's come a long way. Now I do wonder if that some of that is just simply good news includes the likes of the last, uh, the rings of power, the boys, stuff like that. So it kinda of leads me to think that they're paying attention to all the work that's going to genre television, you know, across streamers and platforms. So uh moving along right quick, there was a press release today. If you have not been excited for Mandalorian Season 3 coming up at the beginning of March, maybe the new trailer dropping next Monday will excite you. So at halftime of the Tampa Bay Bucks versus Dallas Cowboys game on Monday oh, night. Oh, come on. The wah, wah. Oh, man. Sad the trombone time. <laughs> oh. Well, well <laughs> You do not have to watch the game. All you have to do is wait for halftime, because at halftime you get an exclusive new trailer debuting for season three. I suppose then it'll be on YouTube about 15 minutes later, maybe. But uh, man, yeah. <laughs> I mean, 
mean, of course, you know, it's ESPN, it's Walt Disney. They got to be simpatico. So, I mean, last week during the... Uh, Welcome to uh, heaven. Uh, Before you get in, we got to kick you in the nuts first. <laughs> <laughs> Look, at the, at the very least, they're doing the nice thing of putting it at halftime. Uh, they dropped the Quantum Mania, the Ant-Man and the Wasp trailer during the fourth quarter. That movie of that looks good. Possible final. Sorry, can we talk about that just for a second? That yeah, movie looks please. good. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Totally yeah. quite different than than the, the other Ant Man movies. movies. But that's the thing. I don't know if I if I will endorse the change because I like them as a sort of breath of uh, fresh air. Well, and maybe there's still going to be some of that element. But I mean, yeah. the first the first little glimpse that I saw of it, it looked like too much. Like oh, it looked too goofy. But mm-hmm. the now that we're getting a little bit more of the storyline, um, and I watched Screen Crush's um, uh, analysis. analysis of it, and man, that looks good. And it looks like, I mean, it's, it is linking all of the, by the way, stupid person here. I didn't realize that the, was it the, the one who remains? Is that what his name was in Loki? Didn't recognize. Yeah. I didn't know that that's not Kang the Conqueror. It's a variant oh. of Kang the Con- So it's like, <laughs> but well, I mean, the whole even, the whole thing. That looks, one even told you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the whole thing. I mean, the whole thing just looks really good. Um, so and again, because the other thing is, remember, Quantum Mania is supposed to be the end of Phase Four. We're, we're introduced to the big baddie, Kang the Conqueror. Then we're on to Phase Five. So it's going to be an interesting tonal shift in regards to uh, kind of what we were talking about with JP, how disconnected much of Phase 4 has felt. This might be the point where we we'll start seeing the corner being turned story-wise in terms of this grand arc that Marvel has designed for this next wave of movies where they get a bit more focus on what the main story is going to be that we're all going to be going nuts about whenever Secret Wars finally comes out. But... Anyway, Mandalorian. <laughs> Sorry. That was... That's all right. I mean, are you guys excited? You, I, have we seen enough? Do we need to see more? I'm, I'm feeling it. I, um, I think I'm ready. You know what's interesting is that I'm I'm not Christmas Eve excited like I was for season one. Um, that doesn't mean that I'm not looking forward to it. Um, I don't know what that means. I don't know if it means that Okay, I, I, may, I, I don't know. Um, have we been oversaturated? That's you well, know, that's or a question. or have we? Did we not get enough? Um, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe season three actually looks like it's going to advance the story a little bit more. Um, wait, but wait, the, hold on, Aaron. Do you mean to tell me you met Giancarlo Esposito and you didn't get a chance to just pepper him with questions just for him to start spilling all the beans? Like, oh yeah, we know. I need yeah. I needed a bottle of water, so. Um, <laughs> uh, but um, it you know so I, again I'm I, I think it'll I think it it'll be neat to see the the Mandalorian story. I will say, Dave, what I'm getting a little oversaturated with is all of the prequel stuff, and I'm I'm re- I'm I'm getting ready to and just to, I'm not that I'm not looking forward to seeing it. It's just, it doesn't get me as amped anymore because it's just like, that's, I don't know. I feel like I'm being sent out to pasture. So, 
Uh, and I'd like and, to, I'd like some be... new Star Wars stuff where the original trilogy fans and the prequel trilogy fans all are on an equal playing field, and it's it's new it... for all of us. So, and it makes me wonder, and maybe this is a discussion for a later episode. Just is that maybe why there was such a strong positive reaction to Andor? Because you didn't have to do any homework. Yeah. I mean, even the movie that sets up at the introduction of Andor, you don't have to watch it. You know, you can watch it at the end. And by the none way, of, whichever one of you, none of that stuff. Whichever one of you sent the article about uh, the the uh, theorizing that they're setting up Luke versus Thrawn. Help me. No, thank you. <laughs> I, I don't want I, a little Luke goes a long way. I just I, I I'll, I'll t yeah I'll I'll take a little Luke. You know yeah. if we want to see Luke again talk to um, like Ezra Bridger for a moment, that'd be cool. You know just a, a two minute scene, that'd be cool. But I don't want I don't want Luke coming back as the I don't I need Luke coming back. So, um, but anyway. Well, we'll move away from little Luke. Now I'm just picturing a tiny Lego Luke walking around the scenes. Right. Be hilarious. Uh, just right quick, last bit of news is, speaking of The Mandalorian, The Mandalorian himself, Pedro Pascal, his new HBO show, The Last of Us, debuts this Sunday on HBO Max. And it's going to be interesting to see, because we're going to have, for a moment there, we're going to have two Pedro Pascal shows going against one another, you know, every week. Because I think this one goes for like 10, 12 episodes. And we know Mandalorian usually goes about 8 to 10 episodes. So it'll be interesting to see how those two match. But yeah, you get Pedro Pascal without a helmet. And you get one with him in a helmet. So I did ask you before. Most people pay double for that kind of action, Cotton. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> I did ask you before if Anywho. you guys were interested in watching it. So Aaron's had a long day. Uh <laughs> I, you know, I we had I, we before the show when you brought this up, we, we you'd asked if we were interested, and neither of us were really like itching to see it. But again, like he's so great that I'm not going to rule it out um, because like he, he's just he's just so much fun to watch. Yeah, and this and this isn't a fun story. This isn't even like Mandalorian level fun story, or even Game of Thrones when he's vamping it up as Oberyn Martell. This is post-apocalyptic you know his character joel's supposed to be all serious and hurt and he's a survivor so he's been that he's tasked with protecting this young girl get her across from it's lone wolf and cub he's got to well, go from one side of the country to another i was gonna and, say it sounds like hunger games versus uh, mashed with uh stranger things is what it looks like kind of kind of sort of because the monsters are quite gnarly you know the mutated humans so and of course the bigger threat is not just the monsters but the other human survivors so standard post-apocalyptic zombie <clears throat> fair uh but just the idea of that you're gonna you're gonna get a completely different pedro this is not the fun pedro who was running around with nicholas cage you know in this movie this is gonna be all serious so i wonder to yeah. see how that's gonna play out but okay i'll do i'll use a different adjective he's mm -hmm. captivating How's that? Yeah, he's a captivating watch. All right, well, uh, Bad Batch, episode three, The Solitary Clone.
was all crosshair all the time. We didn't get any of the good penguins. We got, we got, I don't know, we got crosshair, um, which was actually, I, I enjoyed this episode. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let Dave talk first because I usually yammer on a whole lot at the beginning of this, but I will say this. Okay. The, the tweet that you sent us from, it was somebody at Skywalker Sound who said, this is the best Star Wars animation episode ever. I'm so excited for it. I fell for it again. <laughs> I fell for it again because the whole episode, I kept waiting for the moment. And mm. it was... It was a fine episode, mm. but I fell for the hyperbole again. I don't, wow. <clears throat> I'm glad it was that person's favorite thing that he ever worked on, but uh, why, why do I look, you, you sent that uh, on purpose, didn't yeah, you? So anyway, yeah. I'll send it to Dave first. Uh, what did you think of the episode, the solitary clone? And were we just talking about one clone in particular? It almost lived up to the hype for me. Um, I think like I, I, you know, watching the first five minutes of this, uh, I got bored. Um, my brain started to wander. I started to think about potential topics for the show and I immediately sort of went into, does this show hurt our appreciation for Andor in any way? Because the two are sort of going on around the same time period. And one is this sort of flighty, breezier cartoon. And the other is the heaviest Star Wars we've ever seen. Um, by the end of the episode, though, I was completely affected by Crosshair's story. Um the the just the sheer isolation that he experiences through his own doing which makes him more tragic in a way but like just like so many little moments too like in this episode that you think you kind of overlook or or could overlook if you're not thinking to look at it but like he like in the commissary that place is freaking empty like his friends are dead or deserters or you know decommissioned it's it's him and like a dozen other dudes or so and it's just it, it really strikes you because it looks so different from um other scenes that we've seen in the past from uh attack of the clones and the clone wars where like so many of these troops are interacting with one another and by the end of this episode he is again i put the cart before the horse if you've seen the episode great if you haven't you don't want to be spoiled don't listen right but by the end of this episode he's asking after commander cody because it's like one of the only human connections that he has left this is a guy that he worked that he served alongside during the war it was a familiar face, a welcome face for him. It was a pleasure for him to serve alongside him in this. And, and, and so he's asking after him. And I'm, th and I'm just so like, 
affected by that because like he's yearning for that sort of human connection and he doesn't have it anymore and i don't know that he understands that about himself necessarily really because he keeps making these sorts of self-destructive choices that isolate him from his former crew um and i think like that's the story that we're really watching here is like where is crosshair is going to eventually end up is he going to eventually make it right or reconcile with his former teammates and i and i i think like this episode in particular was really effective at 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 moving that story forward and it had to be right it, it was just him it was nobody else um they inserted that the was, that was my question though yeah <clears throat> um solitary clone are we just talking about crosshair um and so i'll let fredo answer that here in a second because i want to i want to dovetail off a little bit and i i mean no disrespect to anybody in this comment um uh with with all due respect to anybody who has served in the military but as a teacher who has seen students join the military um many and have family members who join the military and I mean, a lot of people join the military because they want to serve their country and they have this deep desire to serve and to protect. And I honor that and I am 100% behind it. But I've also seen students who are looking to find their identity and looking to belong and looking to have that sense of family. And I think Crosshair is that student of mine who... You know, and so good soldiers follow orders. And you know, I'm I'm doing I'm 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 following the company line because you know, it's the, if I don't, it's I don't. I'm going against my family. I'm going against my religion type of a deal. And um, so that was that was striking to me is that I think he's, you know, realizing that he doesn't have an identity unless he is a part of something, unless he's part of clone force 99 or unless he's part of, you know, the galactic empire, but Fredo, are we, is the solitary clone? Is it just about crosshair? No. And I think that's, what's interesting Just yeah, on surface level, you're correct. It is about crosshair. He is very much an isolated character. He wakes up alone. The other clones reject them, which is an interesting twist because we're like, why would they reject him? What do they know about him? Or do they just reject him because he was Clone Force 99 and he's the only one around? He has little to any interaction outside of his commanding officer and Cody, and one of those is gone. But I think what's interesting and where you get to is it just crosshair. It's the discussion that Cody has with him about clones going AWOL, about clones rejecting or doubting following order 66 because what that's starting to plant in the mind is it's first of all it's starting to plant the idea of why at some point the empire turns away from the clones and goes to a standing stormtrooper army which with the two clones that are sitting on the table where crosshair eventually sits that's what they're discussing they're discussing the act to move away from the clones um but it's also because the clones who were born bred trained made into fighting machines 
they're having doubts now that the war, technically speaking, is over about their place and about what they did and their actions. Very much like you said about uh, people who joined the military and then come back home and they start having doubts regarding their, you know, the actions that they took on a, on a war zone, in a war zone. So it isn't just necessarily Crosshair, it's also Cody. Cody's having those doubts. And what's interesting is Cody voices them to Crosshair, but he's keeping a lot of his inner thoughts to himself. Yep. And in that way, every single clone is the solitary clone because they're not choosing to defect in group. This isn't like Clone Force 99 who all, when the moment came, chose to band together and leave. They're all leaving on their own. They're all going AWOL on their own. So it creates an interesting dynamic where we can see why it's all falling apart, but we can also recognize that the questions that they're asking are the questions that all people who serve, whoever fought in the war, ask themselves. It's, what was the value? What was the purpose of my actions? Well, and and the thing that's that I'm finding myself, I, I don't know, it's, did I think that when Order 66, when the order came through and, you know, triggers and they, and they slaughter all the Jedi, did that turn the clones evil and just totally shift their thinking, you know, and it, and they just stayed that way. And obviously what they're saying is it's not, it's like, it's like the alcohol is wearing off and they're realizing what I did last night. You know what I mean? It's, it's that, you know, there, and I like, I loved Cody's line. So, you know what the difference is between us and the battle droids is that we make choices and we have to live with those choices or we have to remember those choices. I think is what he said live with or remember i can't remember how what the quote is but that i mean so you know and i've had i remember having a conversation with a friend when i was in church choir and he was he he served in vietnam and he was like this and this was only about you know 15 years ago guys and he was just now starting to talk about the things that he did in vietnam you know and and starting to deal with those those actions and you know to deal internally with those actions <clears throat> and so and by the and the other thing i want to mention in uh, this i again this is off a of screen crush so i can't claim ownership of this but they did remind me of it. it's very interesting that the clones all the exact same thing all the exact same thing but throughout the clone wars what did they do they painted their armor different they gave each other nicknames they, you know, they, they did things to stand out, you know, differentiate. And so, so I mean, so this whole story of the clones, Dave Filoni has done a great job with this because it starts out as just a clone army. And then that clone army turns against the Jedi and then we're done with them. If you just go with the movies. But through the with the Clone Wars series, there's I mean, my wife teaches a the one of the first um, um, units in her AP English class is all about artificial intelligence. I mean, this would this would be, you know, and if th this would be a great topic because it's like you create these clones and then would that, you know, if you cloned a human being, would they take on a personality? Would they have morals would they have um 
Well, yeah, I mean, all those things come into come into play, and we're seeing that with the clones. Yes, good soldiers follow orders, but there is a moral compass with many, if not all of them. And I think what's interesting, you make a point, but would they even follow the same moral code as their source? Because we know who the who baby of, or who the daddy of all these clones is. It's Django Fett. We've met him. We know what he was like. And what's been so dynamic about the Clone Wars is from Rex through to Crosshair, we have gotten a wide breadth of characterization, differentiation, complexity, uh, a dynamic element to each one of these clones that makes them different. Hunter is not Crosshair. Wrecker is not Crosshair. Each one of them, they may have all been born and bred, and even within not just Clone Force 99, but Rex and Cody, some of the other, you know, when you start thinking about the variety of uh, positions that the clones took in both following their orders throughout the Clone Wars and then afterwards during the fall of the Republic and the rise of the Empire, what we're seeing is that, yeah, there is some dynamics that are completely different across these thousands of similar looking and sounding men who are completely different by this point. And this is the dilemma they're finding themselves in now. The Empire wants them to just be a easier, more manageable version of the battle droid where you just tell it what to do and it doesn't. But they're not. They're living, breathing, thinking, feeling creatures, sentient creatures. And therefore, they're going to start making questions. They're going to start having questions and making decisions that may not necessarily go with what they're programmed to do. And what do you, what do, you do at that point? Because, you know, is the Empire just going to say, okay, you, know, you can't just simply send a shutdown order like they did for the battle droids at the end of Revenge of the Sith, which in this episode gets referenced because the separatists that are on this planet still have a tactical droid, still have a, a droid uh, legion there helping them out. You know, they were supposed to just push a button and they're gone. In this case, you can't do that to the clones. There's not a, okay, hit this button and they'll, they'll go to sleep. You know, they, they, that creates an interesting dynamic because you have now thousands of well battle-hardened, battle-trained men just roaming the galaxy. Um, I also don't want to undersell some of the details because you called to mind some of them for me because, like, I thought the, the like the little details were nice. Um, Crosshair gets like a couple of really cool action moments, you know, like him like sniping things, and like you get to see him sort of flex a little bit, and those are all really cool moments. Um, the droidicas making a reappearance via sound and them recognizing the sound and understanding right away, uh, oh, we need to fall back a little bit and fortify our position because this is now, now it's, now it's serious. Um, so there was a few things like that, that were really kind of cool to see, uh, especially for prequel fans. You were talking earlier about that. Um, I want to say fascism is, is, is a very significant theme here. Um, because we've, I think it's very obvious that the creators of this show, as well as the creators of Andor, have strong feelings about seeing fascism start to creep back into vogue um, right now. Um, and I, I would like to say that I just really appreciate that they're not shying away from that as a, as a topic and that they're leaning into it and they're making their feelings very obvious. Um, the idea that you just follow orders, you follow orders, you follow orders. Um, 
how dehumanizing that is and how it's not anything that they approve of um and it becomes i mean like, like just watching this episode i think it becomes i think it's fairly obvious over the course of this episode that you see where crosshair is you see these droids that have no feelings and emotions and uh independent thoughts um and I think like the symbolism there really becomes obvious. Um, just follow orders. And that's been a, that's been a topic since last season, this idea of free will, when an order becomes immoral, what is your, what is your responsibility to do in that situation? Is it to continue to follow orders or is it to say, no, this is wrong. Um, and, I appreciate that they're exploring that and I want to, I want to see them continue to do that. And I do want to give a special credit to, I went and I looked up the writer for this episode, Amanda Rose Muniz. And I think she's heavily involved in this season in terms of supervising scripts and making sure that there's continuity and things of that nature are going on. Um, according to IMDb. So, so, <laughs> Shout out Amanda there. So another another cool uh, little bit, <clears throat> and when it when it when she first when the when the governor first said the line, I, my first reaction was, "Are we trying to save Dooku?" It, but we're not. We're not. But I mean, it's what's interesting. However, is that we are showing that Dooku is a more globally complex character that because through the tales of the Jedi stuff, we saw how, you know, he went from Jedi to Sith kind of. Um, but the line was Dooku was right that, you know, the Republic was going to turn into something far worse. And it was, and that was, that was, that was interesting to me because Yes, he knew that was going to happen and he was all on board with it being full, you know, far worse. But she took it as we've got to fight the Republic because it's going to get worse. And so Dooku and this and Screen Crush reminded me of this <clears throat> to uh, to us who watched Revenge of the Sith or to the people who were in the, that room, which was Palpatine, Anakin, Obi-Wan was knocked out. They're the only ones who know that Dooku was a Sith Lord. Otherwise, to the rest of the Separatists, Dooku was murdered by the Jedi. And he was a martyr to the cause. And I've, that's an interesting thing to think about. As I've talked about before, you know, on this podcast, it's like one person's terrorist is another person's hero. And that's in it. And I, I was wondering about this. It's like, how did the empire, you know, it, I mean, the separatist planets didn't just automatically go, okay, we're on your team. I mean, this is very much like the end of the U S civil war. It's like, it just didn't, it's like, all right, come on back into the room guys. You're all good. No, there was union troops in every Southern state, you know, to make sure that they were in the room and doing what they're supposed to. <clears throat> so, um you know, but I, I just find I just find that whole thing. That's a thing that's been missing from the Star Wars story is how did 
how did the emperor gain control? You know, it's a continuation of what we saw in the first two episode arc, where you know the empire goes to Dooku's own planet, goes to his home, and just starts raiding his fortune. It's, it's, it's again, it's stuff that we know happens in real life wars have happened in all throughout history when conflicts happen and one side defeats another that there's Saddam Hussein's palace became the headquarters yeah it it happens and you you go in and you just start taking all the gold and all the stuff out and this is a continuation of that idea is that no the war didn't it officially ended when the empire was formed but for a lot of the people fighting it it was still ongoing it was still the stuff didn't just end at that moment we just oh we're just in the empire now there's a lot of this system particular desert they're saying, look, we're on the far fringes of the outer rim. We don't want y'all here. We were with the separatists. Just go away. Leave us alone. And the Empire saying, make us. <laughs> and you and you can't. Because at the end of the day, it's like, here's a Star Destroyer. Here's our stormtroopers. Beat us. You know, and uh, it goes to a continuation of the idea of the war doesn't really quite end and further explains why we're going to see more and more of the clones having their issues is again you know hey the war's over we won but and i'm what exactly we win and why the empire eventually is going to move them out and i'm sorry i wish i could lay claim to all these things i I, it it, but it gets pointed out to me again when i'm watching these things and people who spend all their day analyzing things a lot closer (laughs) um the use careers the use of the star destroyer to symbolize imperial oppression over a society. And I mean that from a a cinematography point of view. It's like you think about Rogue One and that Star Destroyer sitting over Jetta. Mm -hmm. You think of the Star Destroyer coming over head of um, Cinta in Andor. You think of the Star Destroyer at the end of this episode over that planet. That, I mean, and then even, you know, it, but it's, it's, it's on the using, very first image. Well, but I mean, you know, that, yes, it was the empire is big and a new hope, but this is, we're putting this big honking ship over your society and we are bigger than you. And that, um, I, so I, I, I appreciate what Dave Filoni and everybody are doing with that sort of imagery. I, I think again, that's a borrowing from the original trilogy. That because every one of the movies, the original trilogy movies, what is what is the first image we get to see? It's a star destroyer. It is the shorthand, easy way to say this is the empire. It is massive. It is powerful. It is dangerous, and it is uncaring. There is, you know, this isn't a fun little uh, X-wing fighter. This isn't uh, even one of the rebel capital ships, which have so much personality the star destroyer is very much by design meant to evoke fear it's a wedge (laughs) it is literally a wedge yeah yeah i i also don't want to um sell short uh dooku uh as being important right now (laughs) um like we've already seen that in the um tales of the jedi uh and now the first three episodes of Bad Batch have all dealt with Dooku in individual ways. And so I think I think back to Revenge of the Sith 
when he gets his head cut off. And he has a moment of realization. That he's been hosed. That I've been hosed. And I wonder how deep that goes for him. Because mm-hmm. did he? how much of the plan, the Sheev's ultimate plan, was he really aware of? I think that he understood that the war was a sham war, um, that they were controlling behind the scenes, but I'm not sure he understood exactly how things were supposed to end. Um, and maybe he thought, I'm going to rule half the galaxy and you're going to rule half the galaxy or something along those lines. Or maybe he thought the separatists were supposed to win at the end of the, at the end of the day, because that was part of the ruse. I don't, I don't really know, but like, it's kind of fun to think about in those, in those terms, because we don't know the answers to those questions. And, and it would be really fun to explore that. And it would be, fun to learn more about what kind of figure he was prior to his turn etc so um i mean at this point i'm i'm in yeah give us more now i say that and now they'll just completely drop it and we'll never see another so uh <clears throat> I, I was i always think back to that's the the scene where he gets killed and the way that christopher lee so expert expertly acted it when he hears Palpatine go, good, Anakin, kill him. And he's like, uh, I don't think it's up until that point that he realized, oh, God, I've been had. Yeah. I don't think up, in, up until the moment where he's lost his hands, he's at the mercy of Anakin Skywalker, who's got every reason to kill him, but he's not. He's thinking of not doing it because he's a Jedi. And Palpatine, his master, goes, no, go ahead, kill him. I don't think it's up until that point he realizes McClunky, yeah, I've been a I've been a fool this whole time. So, my final thoughts, and then we'll pass it to everybody else for their final thoughts. I, there's uh, I have one one criticism, and it's a minor criticism, is that this looked like any other episode of the Clone Wars. The Bad Batch, for the most part, has been Clone Wars, but different. And this looked a heck of a lot like the Clone Wars because of all the st- you know because of all the battle droids and the you know everything else. That's a minor criticism. I don't think it's going to stay that way. So, but for this episode, that's a minor one. Um, <clears throat> the other things that I've been thinking about with this episode is because when we saw that tactical droid, I'm thinking of Rebels when Ahsoka comes out with the head of a tactical droid, and that's what leads Ezra and Kanan to Rex. I would not be a bit surprised if in somewhere in this season, Ahsoka comes back around and we figure out, we figure out how she got the head of that tactical droid that was looking for Rex. That's, that, uh, that's my, that's my two cents. Um, but, uh, because that's when I saw that tactical droid, that's the, I think Filoni is, connecting things he's been thinking about all these pieces and they're not all by accident so i think he's doing a good job and i I think we're going to see that um but yeah those are those are kind of my final thought and it was kind of actually a it was kind of refreshing to not just have the same scooby gang in each episode 
I, w I would actually be in favor of them uh, continuing this uh, format uh, throughout the rest of the season where you get an episode or two with the main group and then you get an episode with Crosshair um, because he's a member of their party and he's an important piece of the story. And I think like ultimately for me anyway, his story is the most interesting one. Um, the rest, maybe Omega, because um, it's just like, there's intrigue there. What's going to happen? Um, what's her story? Um, but uh, Crosshair is the one where I'm like, oh my gosh, this guy. Like, And I, I get it. I get it. It's exactly what you were talking about. He's wanting to belong. And this is his only method of doing that. Um, but he's actually hurting himself in the process. He's not able to achieve that sense of belonging because of the decisions that he makes. Um, other, other last brief point. Um, I'm looking ahead at episode titles for the rest of the season. Some of them are kind of fun to speculate about. Um, but there's one in particular, the clone conspiracy. We've been talking about a, a lot about clones um, and cloning in general. We're going to get more, I think. I think we may get a, a few more interesting nuggets in that episode. Yeah, yeah, it makes you wonder if it's a conspiracy regarding cloning or if it's a conspiracy involving the clones themselves. It could be any number of ways. I guess, to, you know, the two quick talks that kind of pop in for head finally. One, we know that there's going to be a collision course between Crosshair and the rest of Clone, Fortnite, Clone Force 99. has to be. The story will eventually bring us back, bring them back together again, even if it's on opposite sides. Uh, but also, just from the standpoint of, I'm enjoying what the, what Dave is doing, what Dave Filoni is doing with these characters, and uh, the exploration that he's giving to. In some ways, it's almost like you know the background characters that we always see in the bigger movies. He's giving us further depth and characterization and exploration, and that's what made Clone Wars so great was that we were getting all these stories and I'm glad that we're continuing them because again, to the idea of exploring topics such as fascism and how easy it's to fall into that again. You know, this is this is still very much an animated show aimed at the whole family. So you can just watch it on that level and it works fine. But I love the exploration that they're having regarding the deeper constructs and elements regarding the clones and what do they think what do they feel as people who fought in this war and where they're gonna what they want to do next so i'm looking forward to the rest of the season just to see where we go because we know that there's going to be again there's going to be a collision course between clone force 99 and crosshair the sad fact is as i was watching i just kept thinking the poor poor thing about crosshair is that he feels probably trapped by the choice he made to go against his brothers like he made the choice to say, no, I'm going to stick with the Empire. I'm a good soldier. I follow orders. You guys are betraying us, so I'm away from you. And now he's getting his reward, which is to be ostracized and to be alone. And the Empire does not care. Well, on that uplifting note, <laughs> let us know what you thought of this episode of uh, The Bad Batch. And uh, next week we'll be talking about episode four. What's the, what's the title for episode four, Dave? Faster. Well, okay. 
Um, so Vin Diesel will be in this one, huh? Uh, <laughs> but we're talking about family. He's got to show up. It's in his contract. So anyway, like I said, hit us up on Twitter, hit us up on Facebook. Let us know what you think. By the way, I did hand out a bunch of Houdat Jedi um, uh, podcast um, stickers at, um, and people were actually really excited that there was a um, Star Wars slash nerdy podcast uh, here in town. Um, so hopefully if you are a new listener, let us know what you think and uh, tell other people about us. But until then, we will say who dat? Who dat? Who dat? And everybody have an awesome week. My monkey.